Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we're enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside. Your business, look at that, Ray has made his cameo. Today we're Take with- five, take five. We got there, we got there. Let's use this one on the episode. That was the best one. <laughs> this one, this one, this one. Uh, today we, we are with Ray Regmi, the guy who's doing his own cameo, talking all things superannuation. Now, Ray and Charlie, I don't know if you guys know, but we do have a newsletter. Head over, head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your details and I will spam both of you with as many emails as I possibly can. And I'm sure they've got some value in there as well. Now, if you're listening to this, maybe you want to do the same. So head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter and I'll spam you too. Trust me, it's valuable. Now, we're talking about a touchy subject, Charlie. I want to cue your disclaimer right now. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, probably an important one to have the disclaimer in on Graham. We're talking about superannuation, a touchy subject, and also one we know ASIC certainly loves. So ASIC, be kind to us today. Be kind Please to us. Please don't do us, ASIC. Come on. <laughs> We're yeah. nice guys. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm happy. I'll buy you a coffee. It's fine. We're nice. All right. So we are definitely not giving financial advice. Um, all right. Now that we've said that, let's give all that the financial, financial advice. advice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today we're absolutely joined by uh, Ray from Riker Capital, our resident financial planner and sponsor of the show, which we hugely appreciate. Uh, you're certainly becoming a fan favourite. Yeah. I get all the questions about financial advice that should come to you, Ray, and uh, nonetheless, <laughs> I appreciate having you here to help burden that load. Now, today we're talking about superannuation, and there's, there's this one big thing I want to really uh, talk about today, and I'll set it up. For most business owners I know, and myself included, what happens early on in the journey of business is we get the option to extract money from our business either via a dividend yep. or via a salary. Yep. Now, depending on which option you pick, one of them has you pay more super than the other. So, for example, if someone was to make $100,000 a year in a salary, they would put roughly 12 and a bit percent into their super. Yep. If they took that same money out as a dividend, they could pay zero super. Correct. Right Now, the challenge with that and the pros and cons of it here is that for many business owners, that money and cash flow in their business is the ability to grow their business. It is the ability for them to be able to like oxygen in the business make moves. Yeah. But it comes with a really big consequence that they neglect their super and potentially set them up for a very poor quality um, experience later on in life. And I firsthand know some business owners that have ignored super for the last 20 years and they're coming to those years now and they've got some regrets. They're like, oh crap, business didn't go like I thought it would. Yeah. And I've got no nest egg built in super despite some of the massive, massive advantages. So it's something personally that I've had to turn a corner on and certainly contribute much more today uh, and catching up compare it to where I used to, but I'm really hoping we can unpack super in a big way so that we can help all the business owners uh, better understand it because that was the gap for me. Yeah. So my first question to you, Ray, we're going straight for a hard hitting one here. How can a business owner approach super 
in a way where they don't feel like they're locking up too much of their cash for later on versus needing it for today to get the benefits of both worlds? How can we think about super in a better way? Heavy question. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> Look, um, what I've found in my experience, Charlie, over the years, small business owners have a lot less super than a salaried workers. Super has always been an afterthought for many of the business owners, and they've always considered their business as their part of the retirement strategy, as you mentioned. Um, when and if they were to sell the business, this will be part of their retirement strategy. Is what they're quite what, what they think, and it can be quite dangerous because if you're like you said, if your business is no longer operational or business is not as successful as you would have hoped, without having this super contribution or lack off, will left them with no assets for the future. And look, the biggest concern about locking up cash for the business is, again, another thing that we see all the time. If you're self-employed, it's not mandatory that you make contribution, but when you retire, you will be glad you did. So if you're self-employed and make super contributions, you're able to claim that as a tax deduction based on your marginal tax rate. So if you're a PTY limited or um, a, a corporate structure, you're required to make that 10.5% contribution into your super on salary that you've derived from the business, like you mentioned. Uh, you don't have to do that on the dividends, but you have to do as if you were to take out a salary from the business. Now, business owners feel that they don't want to lock up that cash, this income that the businesses earn, and but business will need to pay tax on that regardless. Now, I can either pay tax or I can contribute into my super, which will provide my business with a tax savings. So why wouldn't I put then that money in my own retirement savings account and get a bit of a tax deduction? So you just nailed the thing that was explained to me is that I'm not getting all the cash I think I'm getting in just taking a dividend. Yep. Right, because you just mentioned here is that the tax side of things become interesting. Now, I want to use an example here because this is how it was explained to me and the penny kind of dropped for me. And I want you to un, uh, pick this apart if I'm wrong or we can explain it in a different way. Someone said to me is that, Charlie, if you earn a dollar and you take it into your uh, paid via a dividend, bring it into your business, right, you only keep seven, 70 cents of that Yeah. Right. in a 30% idea. It goes, but if you... Uh, take that same dollar and contribute it to your super, you're essentially gaining 17 cents. So for every dollar you put into super is actually a 17 cent gain that is essentially, uh, and I say essentially noting it's not, free money. Yep. It's the same dollar. You still earn that money in business, yep. but that is the differential on what makes superannuation such an effective system. Now, the price of that 17 cents is that it's locked up to your 60-ish. Yep. But that's where the real um, difference is. Now, is that statement true or accurate or close to accurate? How Look, do you feel about it? it? It all depends on the individual's business structure. So it'd be very hard, but tax-wise uh, tax and numbers-wise, yes, that, that is true. But I think it will all come down to individual business owners, what they're earning, what are, they, are their business expenses, um, how they have structured their business, whether there's a family trust involved. Um, so it depends on a variety of different structures there that individual business owners may have. But uh, largely what you've just said is correct, yes. Isn't that interesting? Because <laughs> I, I sit there and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I can totally just put it in my name and I'm pretty good with my own money. <laughs> or I can go and put it <laughs> hey, in hey, hey, Before you get any further there, Grant, disclose yourself. Have you looked after your super? I plead the fifth. So what I'm curious about, <laughs> no, I've completely neglected. No, I will say it's a love-hate relationship. Super yeah. loves me. I hate my super and I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're complicated. Is like if I was to have a Facebook status of our relationship, we're complicated. Joke. All right, I could live with that. I could live with that. 
So I'm curious, like, are there any, like, downsides to this payment of super? Like, outside of Charlie's point of a bit of tax benefit between me paying my income tax on it versus putting it in super and getting that that difference. Hmm. Like, what are the, like, are there any, like, downsides to superannuation contributions, right? Um, guys, absolutely. Well, there are downsides to super. Look, and the, the big one that you've already spoken about is obviously the retirement savings are locked until you meet the preservation age, for, for, which for most people is age 60, right? Now- If if I meet it. Yeah, yeah if you meet it. Now, <laughs> now, the idea of super is to generate a steady income for your retirement and you can only withdraw the money usually then- if you don't meet the preservation age, you can only withdraw the money in a hardship provision, such as severe financial hardship, um, whether it be a terminal medical condition or temporary incapacity. Um, and the other downside is if you're a temporary resident in Australia, you're not eligible to make withdrawals unless you're leaving for good. In case super contributions then will be taxed at the rate of 65%, which is quite heavy. Whoa. That's massive. Uh, i tell you what, Australia is very hard on people who either leave the country or want to get back in. Uh, we really are. It's like I know we're an island, but we're definitely doing that on the tax front as well. How, how do you feel about this comment then, Ray? Because it's like I, I look at it and I go, to be a business owner, you've got to be crazy enough to think you can make it. Yeah. Right. You've got to actually believe in yourself enough to think that your business is going to make it, otherwise you're not going to do it. Yeah. And then to follow on from that, you have to believe your business is going to be so successful that it's going to sell or that you're going to get to a glorious place where maybe you don't need super. Now, the stats are alarming that even of the businesses that are listed for sale, 66% of them don't sell. Yeah. Most businesses actually getting uh, end up getting wound up because no one wants to take them over because they're a poor-paying uh, poor job that no one would want to sign them up to that type of suffering. Mm. Do you think this it's the belief in the business owner themselves that's actually one of these things hindering people from taking super more seriously? Because they have to kind of admit, hey, my business may not make it to where I thought it would and I might need this super thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, look, I think to what you said, there, there's a massive key person risk there and most of the business don't sell for that particular reason is what I've sort of seen previously. Um, and when those individuals rely on that super to be to be um, as part of their retirement strategies can be quite detrimental, as I mentioned, because uh, if you don't save up or you don't have that behaviour or pattern of putting aside that regular income, much like you pay your employees, you've got to pay yourself and you've got to make that contribution aside because- if you don't keep doing that and you keep investing that back in the business, you don't have a good retirement savings for the future, not to mention you missed out on the good tax breaks. So it, it can be quite detrimental to the business owners. So why not just invest outside of super then? So this is something I've thought about because you get you get the flexibility then. So for myself, I, you know, I've invested quite heavily in property and that's something I'm using to look after my retirement. Mm -hmm. I've done that at all outside of super though for uh, reasons like, I believe I'll actually need that before I get to 60. Yeah, yeah. Now, in this case here, is this just the same thing with the tax efficiency that makes super such an advantage? Is there any reason why, like, again, why not just do it all outside of super? And, and to add to your point there, um, Charlie, look, most business owners see super as an asset where they might lose money because the markets are going up and down and, you, you, and you're seeing that in current recent times where the shares have dropped considerably. Um, all super is a, the way I look at super is all super is a tax structure. You, you can have different type of assets in there from shares, residential, commercial property, collectibles, cash, term deposit, all these assets that can be part of the SMSF. All it allows for is the income that's generated from super to be taxed at a much lower rate. And when you retire and take that income out of it, 
in retirement years based on the current tax rules, it's all tax-free. So so let's let's go right there because this is the thing, <laughs> again, that highlighted to me this because um, someone had said to me, and again, correct me because this is where it's like I'm not going to pretend I'm the expert on this topic. I'm told that if you were to, let's say you've got a million-dollar property, yep. if you have that outside your super, right, when you come to that retirement age, you're going to get taxed on the rent that comes from that property at whatever the effective tax rate correct. is. If that property was in your super though, so same property bought at the same time, um, but it was inside your super, the way the tax works is very different where you actually might be able to withdraw the rent as income tax-free from a million-dollar property. Absolutely. Is that true? It, look, absolutely. Uh, it is true, but you just got to have a look at the, um, the, the limits within those assets. So there's a $1.6 million cap uh, that sits within that uh, provision for allocated pension per person. Um, and to further that, look, I'll give you an example of my clients, right? Um, my clients, Joe and Lisa, who've sort of started their superannuation um, and they've contributed, chipped away in super over the years, they've sort of built up this uh, n- nice little retirement nest egg for half a million dollars each. Now, they're driving an allocated pension income out of it at the rate of what are they invested in balance fund, gives them an average earning of about 5% or 6%. So on a million dollars, that's $60,000 tax-free. Now, for me to earn that $60,000 tax-free, my taxable income, give or take, it's got to be around $75,000. So to the point, yes, the assets that you sort of hold within the super fund or the SMSF, in retirement years, when you turn that into an allocated pension under current tax rules, yes, you can drive that income as a tax-free. And also, no CGT applied. So when you sell the asset. When you sell the asset. Yep. So this is what I mean. These were the conversations I started to have. I'm like, ooh, crap. (laughs) 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 like that's in retirement years, and I know this is in today's dollars, right, and noting that when inflation adjusted will leave out of this conversation, but in today's money, like that's a, what, $15,000 to $18,000 difference per year in your pocket. Correct. You would have to get a $78,000 return from a property uh, to get the same amount of net return versus if it was in the super itself. Correct. And a uh, really important point there, that $1.7 million each, so for you and potentially your wife or partner or significant other, yep. like that can really add up. So you could, if you are if you have a, a spouse or a partner, that would give you, what, $3.2 million that could give be a, applied to this India super, yep. roughly. We'll call it three to be conservative yep. here. So. Again, is like I really start. This really started to hit home for me, and why I started to take it more seriously because I've got so many years of compounding here before we get to this point. So I used to just think it was oh, all about getting money into super really cheaply. So it's look about reducing my tax today, and that's the benefit. Hmm. But the other side of the conversation is that when you take it's preservation age, is that's what it's called when you start that's taking. Right. Yeah. So preservation age is um, is is the is the actual age when you can start to access. Uh, if you decide to retire at age 60, which for, uh, for most people currently sits at about age 60. Um, so it allows okay. you to take, um, um, it allows you to start a pension. Awesome. Now, I don't want to make it too densely technical. I'm hoping the bigger things come with it. But then someone said something to me after this, and it was all the same person, by the way, this person I'm referring <laughs> to that convinced me on super. They also said one of the things is is if you leave it too late to start contributing your super, what you're actually going to do is go over the amount you can actually contribute in this tax-effective way 
and then it's not as good. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? Well, it's like if you, if you waited till 55 and you wanted to put $1.7 million into your super in one year, right, that's not actually a tax-effective way to do it. You want to do a little bit every year because that's where the benefit lies. Yep. Now, currently, uh, and I actually I'm not even going to say what I currently think it is, What's the threshold on what someone can put into their super every year effectively right now? Like, what's that? Yeah. So uh, I think it's like, I think it's that. Uh, so, so you're absolutely right. You've you've got to spread that out across your working life, um, and the reason you've got to do that is because you're collecting that tax effective savings over your working life of twenty five or thirty years. And when you compound that, the biggest part also what you're missing out on is compounding over the years rather than just doing that lump sum level of contributions. So concessional contribution caps, uh, or um, there's roughly set about $27,500 for this current financial year, depending on what the budget rule comes out, obviously, and that might change things, um, which are generally taxed concessionally at 15% rather than marginal tax rate. Now, if you go over that con- uh, contribution cap on concessional side, you may be taxed more, depending on how much you've exceeded. Uh, but for the non-concessional uh, side, it's roughly around $110,000 for the current financial year. So again, really important point to highlight there. Grant, you go. I've, I've been mouthing <laughs> off already. <laughs> I know I've got another question in here, but I do have. But I do want to sort of point. Port, make a disclaimer yeah. there, guys, because if you like, if you want to make a claim of a tax deduction, it is important to be aware that your contributions have to be made before thirtieth of June to claim that as a tax deduction for the financial year. Plus, you need to notify your super fund before claiming a tax deduction using a specific form. So there's strict time limits and some criteria do apply. Uh, before you throw in that $27,500 to claim that um, full tax deduction. Now, I've got fortunate enough to have equity in quite a few different businesses and I've had to start thinking about this whole tax planning situation. Uh, And I was made aware that I could actually sell like a large amount in a business, say for a million dollars where I get a million dollars, and I can actually do a lump sum contribution into superannuation of up to about half a million dollars, which means instead of me needing to distribute it to myself as income within that financial year, yeah. I can actually distribute it back into superannuation. Yeah. First off, yay nay. Second one is- yeah, Is that true? Are there, yeah. Are there other things like this that business owners go, huh, maybe <laughs> maybe there are some cool little strategies and tips and tricks because I, I was going to get paid, paying 50% tax on that and yeah. now it would be like, what, 70% give or take? Well, there are small business CGT- uh, contribution caps that are available. Um, again, all depending on there are strict criteria do apply, guys. There's a variety of different conditions that you do have to meet. Um, but the good place to start there is to speak to your advisor or accountant before you start planning on that side. Because if you are to sell your business and if your business do sell for 1.5 million, there are good tax strategies that are out there that that would sort of allow you to to not not pay that um, uh, that that fifty level fifty percent of uh, tax on the um, uh, when you sell the business. And just to be clear, we're not asking for our specific circumstantial stuff at all. Mm. The hope is someone listens to this and then they do reach out to someone like yourself, Ray, or their uh, accountant and team or advisors they work with so they can do it. It's more about bringing awareness into the conversation around that. Now, I do want to bring all these together, though, because I think this is really interesting because this is where I look at it and go, you can get money into super more effectively than you can get it into investments outside your super. So point one is that it's like, a, in my example I gave about a, a $0.17 cent difference per dollar you move into super. Yeah. There's a cap on that though. You can only move currently about $27,000 a year into super yeah. into that regime. Yeah. 
Um, and again, the criteria around that that you've mentioned, right? Definitely. Yep. And uh, speak to someone who knows what you're doing. Absolutely. Not, uh, two idiots and one guy knows what he's doing <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> Point three is that the returns you get in super as it's compounding are taxed differently versus outside. Exactly. So if I'm on a 47% tax rate in my personal life outside of super, my super returns are only being taxed at like 15 15%, exactly. Yeah, so the tax on earnings Crazy, rate is, right? Yeah. It's a massive – hence the reason I love super because it is nothing but a tax structure. Now, as I mentioned before – We're not even getting to the best part. <laughs> the best part is when you want to draw that income tax-free, baby, yeah. right? But you've got to meet the age criteria, guys, and it's got to be an allocated pension. So when you turn that into a pension, you want to sell that asset as CGT-free. Um, in most cases. Feel like every time we want to have fun and rot the system, right, <laughs> it pulls us back in a line. I'm like, I'll get that shit at 59, right? I want to find a way. I could totally buy a trust that's been around for 60 years and just like throw that in super. Like I'm sure there's a workaround somewhere. Yep. So I guess you could imagine my amazement in st- suddenly starting to un- understand super how much, like understanding super more deeply how much you're potentially missing out on by trying to run that dividend strategy alone. Yep. Like I think super is a like phenomenal opportunity Massive. for many business owners. Of course, after they get some really good advice and not take it from me, <laughs> but I want all the business owners out there to explore this, to speak to people about it because it can make a significant difference. On a more personal front, there's people in my life right now that I care about who have neglected their uh, super and like they're paying the price of that. Yep. They're having to put off retirement because they simply don't have the assets to retire, yep. which is a big concern. Big, big concern. Um, I want to ask another question here, and I'm just mindful of uh, shifting gears too quickly here, but I hope we've unpacked the benefits of Supra really, really well here. Mm. This is the next one, though. For many people, and they might already have this and just not be aware, although we did cover it a little bit on another episode, insurance can be in your Supra as well. And depending on the fund you have and the coverage you have, that can be a part of it, right? Can you explain uh, this at a level that is digestible and not specific advice? Absolutely. For where insurance plays a role in, in this. And look, m- most super funds uh, will automatically provide you with this uh, form of life TPD insurance. When, when I started my working life with Commonwealth Bank, I got given a super and I got given an automatic insurance with, uh, within my super fund. Now, um, the insurance is for a specified amount, what you normally get as an automatic or default cover, if you like, and is generally available without any medical checks. Uh, for TPD insurance, I'm pretty sure it expires. For, but most super funds, it expires at age 65. Life expires much around the same sort of age, around 65 to 70. Um, and I think as we've sort of uncovered that in previous episodes, those kind of covers sort of reduces in value over time, um, which which can be a bit uh, off-putting because you, that, that might be the time or the age you might claim on that part of the cover. But under the law, super funds will cancel insurance or inactive super accounts. And uh, if they haven't received contribution for the last 16 months, in addition, super funds may have their own rules that require the cancellation of insurance and super accounts where the balances are too low. Now, your super fund yeah. will contact you if, you, uh, if your insurance is about to end. But if you want to keep that insurance, specifically if you've got any medical conditions, you'll need to tell your super fund or contribute to that super account. So it's important that you review that before you decide to consolidate, change super funds, or because you may not qualify to get another cover. It's funny that you mentioned that. I remember uh, <laughs> so just, this is how much I neglect super. Neglected, Charlie. Past tense, not current. <laughs> Wait, tense. have I won you on this? <laughs> no, <laughs> but we're getting there. So I got to the point where I'd signed up to a new super fund uh, under the business, 
And they're just like, they, they messaged me like, so we found two other super funds. Did you want us to bring them in? And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then my super literally just doubled overnight. This one year, it was like this huge return. And I'm like, man, the stock market's going great. It's <laughs> booming. <laughs> booming. And I'm like, oh, no, wait, that was just it collating all of these old super funds together, <laughs> which I'm sure they were probably charging me for things that I wasn't doing or things that I wasn't needing or even to your point, right? They're probably charging me for insurance that I'd never mm. had or something like that. So that was one of the big things that I stuffed up. <laughs> well, I'll take you into this one here. Um, at a point a few years back, it had been brought to my attention that you could uh, potentially uh, buy a place to operate your business from in your super. Yeah, that's exactly right? what There's actually get. ways to do that, which I'm not going to discuss too in-depthly here because that's, I think, a very specialized strategy. Yeah. But I had felt that superannuation was a waste of time. If I could get an office out of it, like it would be a win. And when I started going down the path, um, it became clear to me that if I moved into this strategy and stopped my super with the fund I was with, I would lose the insurance policy. So I think for a lot of people that go into uh, the self-managed world or trying to buy offices or commercial assets and all the rest, they don't realize that they could potentially be like losing a life insurance policy Exactly. Uh, as a part of that, which is some of these risks around multiple funds, not knowing what's in what, not knowing th where these all fit together. I imagine this is a common thing you have to address as, as well, Ray. <laughs> yeah, with absolutely. With insur different insurance policies with different funds as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, we've got to address that all the time, but I think, guys, it's a key part to understand how these different part of the elements work, whether it's a super fund or a self-managed super fund, right? Um, most Australian uh, taxpayers have their superannuation invested in the normal APRA regulated funds. Now, these these these, these can, would be. Can we just quickly disclose? Um, talk about the difference. Like, yeah. what's the difference? Sorry, Charlie. What was the uh, difference about a self-managed fund versus like a just what I would call a, a normal yes yeah, so, general super fund? So your normal retail super funds is your um, a, a, a part of the super fund where you and you, whenever you start working for your employer, they will just give you a normal retail super fund where your money is invested. Uh, which is invested in your normal managed funds, uh, whether it be your balance, growth, um, a variety of different structures that are available to the investors within those platforms, whether it's a corporate super, retail super, industry super. Whereas a self-managed super fund is a private super fund that you manage yourself. Now, SMSFs are very different to industry or retail super funds. You're managing your own super and you put the money as you would in a normal, any kind of other super funds, the retail industry super funds. Now, your SMSF can have um, more than six members, more, um, most of the SMSF usually will have about two members uh, and you are the trustee of the super fund. Now, what I mean by trustee is a normal course, uh, if it's an Australian super or if it's a um, CBA super or if it's a BT super, that specific uh, trustee would be Australian super fund or BT super fund. Now, you're putting on the trustee cap and you are the trustee uh, and you are responsible for managing that super fund. So that makes me the investment manager in that example yeah. there. So if I did self-managed super, like I'm taking responsibility for like the fund performance Absolutely. and what it's invested yep. in and the insurance policy yep. and all the compliance that comes Exactly, and you're putting on that compliance hat. In either case, you're responsible for the fund, for the overall management of the fund. Now, whilst you have control over your own super, that can be very appealing. Um, it, it's a lot of work that comes with the risk. And um, once you set up your super fund, you're 100% committed and understand, you've got to understand what's involved. Um, look, the key difference is the SMSF other type of fund is that member of SMSFs are usually also the trustees, like, like I mentioned before. This means the members of the SMSF run it for their, for their benefit and are responsible for complying with all the super and tax laws. 
The main part of the responsibility that does come with the SMSF is you're liable for all the funds decision, even if you get help from a professional person. So even if I was to help for it, because you're the trustee, you are still liable for it. You're responsible for managing the fund if your circumstances change. For example, if you lose your job, you still got to run that super fund. You may have a negative impact on your SMSF if there is a relationship breakdown between members or if the member dies or ill because you now got to find um, other members. If you lose money through theft or fraud, you won't have access to any special compensation scheme like normally you would have through AFCA. Uh, the cost of running the SMSF can be, um, can be quite expensive at times. Um, you're not you're not painting oh, a, I'm, I'm sitting down picture of this. I'm like, why would anyone want a self managed super fund, Ray? It's Where's like, oh the crap, benefits, Ray. But guys, yeah. I'm yeah. about to get to the benefits. <laughs> let's slow down. It's not it's doom like, and gloom here, like, guys. I'm leaving there. This is this is the disclaimer, Charlie. This is the, the financial planner disclaimer before it gets to the good bit. But the guys, there are benefits. Give me the there good are bit. some good bits. Look, investment choice, right? As Charlie mentioned before. SMSF can offer a variety of – it opens the door for a variety of different investment options compared to a normal super fund uh, with limited expecta- expectations of – we see SMSF can invest virtually anything that meets the sole purpose test or adheres to the regulation. Uh, it can allow you to purchase an asset, commercial, residential, like I mentioned. Um, SMSF attracts small business owners or self-employed as they, they can have a commercial property that can be purchased within the SMSF and property can be rented to the businesses providing um, this is at the – uh, prevailing market rates, and they can um, pay them rent. This flex. All right, so this is yep. this is the idea I had. I was like, I'm going to buy an office with an apartment on top of it, <laughs> and then work from the office and live in the apartment. And this is how I'm going to get around uh, being able to live in the property yeah. that the- is purchased in my super. I'm going to be able to buy this tax free. And then I was like, No, 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 no. can't do that. No, it's <laughs> got to be at arm's length distance, guys. Definitely. <laughs> but <laughs> there went that plan. The interesting thing is in a self-managed super fund or an SMSF, you can have debt. So you can actually buy property with debt in yeah. there, right? Where in like a retail super fund, I can't just call up a super no. fund and just be like, hey, you want to buy some property? We can get some mortgages <laughs> for me and try and leverage it. Like talk talk us through that because that, that was the interesting thing for me that I'm like, interesting, this is a full-blown entity unto itself, like a trust. All right, guys, sorry, we just had a technical challenge there. So we've got Ray back with us now. Now, we just finished on the idea of all the downsides of self-managed super, but we want to know where the wins are. Like, why would <laughs> you've painted out like they're uh, potentially a bad idea Not here, all, but <laughs> I don't think so many people would have them if there wasn't an upside. So where's the upside of a self-managed super? Fund? There is definitely upside, guys. Look, uh, investment choices. Look, SMSF offers a wide range of investment options compared to other super funds with some limited exceptions, of course. Uh, SMSF can invest virtually anything like your residential property, your commercial property, um, and also it can borrow to purchase an asset. However, this has become increasingly difficult as many banks have removed themselves from SMSF lending products from the market. SMSF attracted small business owners or the self-employed as a commercial property can be purchased by their self-managed super fund. This property can then be rented to the business providing this at the prevailing market rate. So they can... Pay All right, so let, let's, just pause, let's just pause right there because I want to know this one more in-depthly. So it's been hinted to me numerous times that a huge advantage, and I'll just use an example, let's say you're a mechanic, yep. is that you could buy a mechanic workshop in your super fund and uh, your self-managed super fund to be specific, mm-hmm. and then you could actually operate the business from that in your super. So huge advantage you're- compared to what could be done through a super fund, right? which I think is a really cool and interesting idea 
So what I want to uh, look at there, Ray, is that does that make self-managed super funds more suited to business owners because of the flexibility to do things like that, which a PAYG employee wouldn't have the intent of doing? Absolutely. And you see these kind of common themes, much like with the mechanic, perhaps a doctor's practice or a lawyer's practice, where they will, um, instead of um, renting out a property, they will rent out a property through the SMSF. And uh, as a way of tax deductions, they will pass on the rent to the SMSF and claim that as a tax write-off, obviously based on the market rates. So it's a massive flexibility, which a business owner otherwise would have had to pay rent regardless. Now, instead of paying someone else that rent, they're paying their, um, their own super fund the rent. So in that tax-effective tax structure. structure. So, so, it provides ma- a- so if, you're, Sorry, prov- if you're a business that does uh, operate from a location, this is something you may really need to consider because this could be a huge difference on your cash flow and return not to mention, in the example of the mechanic, let's say you wind it up when you're 60, well, now you're renting that place out to another business and there's an income stream from it, right? Or you can sell the asset in a tax-effective structure or do things a little bit differently yeah. there. Is there any other advantages for business owners with self-managed super? And I, I almost want to ask a bit of a different question here. Like, for the general business owner in Australia, do you believe they should all have a conversation with a financial planner to address if self-managed super is right for them because of these significant advantages here? Absolutely. To answer that question, Charlie, um, they should definitely consider this as part of their strategy, but it's not going to fit everyone. But the flexibility, the control, the effective tax management and the ease of accountability that it provides, I 100% agree that they should definitely be speaking to an advisor to see if the SMSF structure suits their, um, their purpose or their goals. So in summary, yes, it comes with more work and potentially more time, but it very likely or possibly yep. could be worth it from Absolutely. here. Absolutely. So, um, all right, well, we're going to shift gears again here because we've talked about self-managing. I've got quite a list. I'm hoping this episode <laughs> won't go all day. It's just like zigzags I think- the whole way. It's just, uh, I'm struggling to follow. <laughs> we're not zigzagging. This is sequentially planned, right? We're pro- I'm a professional, guys. <laughs> please. This is great. People come to me all the time like, session. Charlie, you and Grant are so professional. It's not like your intros have gotten worse as you've been doing this podcast at all. <laughs> anyway, so the, the next thing I want to loop, uh, loop into it here is like all the business owners out there have likely got super funds, just like I did, yep. right? So how does someone know if the fund they're in is even the right one for them or suitable for them or even getting any form of reasonable return? Like how do we start to investigate our super is like, is something I wanted to put out there. Absolutely. Look, some basic rules you would look at, and, and, and these are usually, most people know, so usually you'd, it governs around performance. So you're comparing your fund's investment performance over at least five years to see what they've done, what their track record, records have been. Fees, which is a massive one. Look, all super fund charge fees, but you've got to compare the performance of that individual option and the fees that you're paying for it. There are hundreds of different options in the market with different super funds, and you're making sure you're comparing apples with apples. Another part is insurance. Super funds typically have different types of insurance for members, so you want to make sure they are the right insurances so you know, don't fall into the trap uh, of, of being stuck in a, in a product that doesn't suit your need. Services, what kind of service does your super fund provide you for the fees that they charge you? Um, government's also published a data on some of the non-performing super funds investment options uh, for that My Super investment option, and look, I would highly encourage people to review that. Uh, and above all, look, speak to an advisor because there's so many moving parts to it that highly, highly recommend that you speak to an advisor to ensure that the fund that you're picking, picking uh, is the right one for you. So what you're saying is there's no 
website that I can just go to and it's just like this one's good and this one's not good and if you're with this one, it's not great. Look, uh, it, speaking it, to someone about it is probably the best approach. What you can do that, however, there's, there's, I'm pretty sure there's an ATO your super comparison tool online. But it, I was going to say, I'm sure there's great comparison tools there, out there, there are, for super. There are. And if there's not, we should stop what we're doing right now. <laughs> Google, that's Google. a great idea. Um, sometimes I feel that comparison sites can be sometimes a little bit biased, but uh, I find that the ATO your super comparison tool uh, it, it just provides a comparison for my super products, uh, but it only provides my, my super products only. Um, but I would highly recommend that, you know, um, speaking to an advisor because they have an array of different options to go, well, okay, this is your risk profile. This investment option would suit better for what you're after. Uh, and, and whilst there are a lot of comparison sites out there, would not be able to provide that comparison, um, a comprehensive structure. Um, as an example, binding nomination. Some super funds will have a binding nomination that will expire every three years. Even though I've nominated my wife as a beneficiary, I don't want that to expire. I want my wife to get that money. Whereas some super funds will allow for a, a binding non-lapsing, which means it will never expire. So I don't have to then fill out the form every three years and ensure that my wife's still going to get that money. So there are some Isn't that interesting? Bits and pieces. There's so much more to it than just returns, right? Yeah. So just to, I want to make sure we check books this. If you're going to review your super, first thing is fees. Yeah. See what your fees are compared to the others. Returns yeah. would be another one you could compare. Yeah. Um, the one after is the binding options here and the uh, potential other services that come with your super fund. Absolutely. And then if you've got all of them and you're potentially still unsure or wanting more information, get with an advisor and have them help you Absolutely. compare those and line it up for what's right for your situation. Yep. Definitely, guys. I think th right. those are the, your uh, main key factors that you'd look at. Okay, and potentially consider self-managed even in this as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, then my, my last question on this one yeah. is that if someone does that and they go, oh, crap, I'm not in a good option, yeah. how hard is it to actually change funds? Like can someone do that themselves or is this something where they need an advisor if they're going to change their fund? Um, guys, very easy to change super fund. At times you can even do it online. Um, look, fees and taxes and a variety of the structures do apply if you were to leave your current fund. Um, you know, take the chance to compare your super funds, look for fees and returns and all the other benefits like we've discussed earlier. Um, your fund might offer uh, uh, less of an insurance. You want to ensure that the uh, super fund that you're moving into, um, you don't lose your insurance benefits because not they, yeah. they, they won't necessarily provide all different form of covers like, um, like uh, what you might have had previously. So you've got to do your research before, uh, before you change anything. Can, can I put this out there? It seems like there's landmines. Yeah. So it seems with super there's a whole bunch of like conceivably a simple idea, but if you uh, potentially just aren't aware of one of these things that are within it, like there's a potential landmine that can go off like, oh, whoops, yep, your wife doesn't get your money. <laughs> oh, yep, whoops, yeah, no, you're not compliant. Oh, whoops, no insurance for you. Yep. Like you really have to understand the dynamics of this and review it, let's, let's say, at least annually to do it well. Yeah, not only that, taxes, guys. Tax is a big part and you've got here you thinking going, I'm making contribution to my super, I'm doing the right thing and you blow the cap out and the government goes, thank you very much, you've got to pay that additional tax now. So mm. talk about landmines. There's, there's, there's certainly a variety of different things you need to consider before you start moving super fund around. You know what's oh, funny? No. Like the, the thing we didn't talk about is like... <laughs> That you you can actually invest on top of all of these things, yeah. but from a benefit perspective, like it was all of these other things which a lot of people don't think about. I think it's fantastic. All right, one more I'll throw in that mm. then, Ray. Why not just invest all in super? All right, so we, we put the idea out there. Is it like is it a viable strategy in your opinion? 
broadly speaking, not for any specific advice, mm. like the frame up there. So, you know, <laughs> take that ASIC, see what we did there. Um, to just go all in on super, or do you just, in your mind, do you see super's one part of the strategy? It's good to have assets outside it for other reasons, like liquidity. Yep. And then potentially you may want to do things with your business as well. Absolutely, guys. We can't log all of that money in super because you still you still need to live. You still need to build assets outside of super. So uh, super should be just considered another part of your diversification strategy rather than putting it all into super. There are limits that sort of wouldn't allow us to do that anyway. Um, so super should be considered as a big part of your uh, retirement strategy as well as your tax-free assets side of the strategy, but do also have the investments outside of it. Awesome. Well, Ray, thank you so much for uh, confirming some of the ideas we've had and also sharing just all these potential landmines and way people can really come undone with super as well as like the really thing I'm highlighting on this. I'm going to wrap this one up from here because I think we've covered it well. If you are listening to this episode and you do have questions on super, definitely direct them at Grant. No, <laughs> not at all. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. Tag me in. No, that's why we have Ray here and Ray <laughs> is a part of the community. So if anyone does uh, want to connect with Ray, we've got him on the website. I will also, if anyone emails me or jumps on that email list, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink. I will forward across to in intro into the Ray directly. We also have Ray's details on the website and you can go to rikercapital.com to get any more from him on that on this topic and many, many others. So we're going to wrap this one up up here, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, have an excellent day. <laughs>